0: Good morning. As I introduce today, would you take your Bibles and turn to both Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. And as you find those two books of your Bible, uh, let me remind you what we're doing here for our uh, Christmas series. It's called Fit for a King. And um, week one, we talked about Virgin Mary and the virgin birth of Jesus and how critical that is to believing in the virgin birth and how, if you do not believe in that, the repercussions of everything that crumbles when you don't believe in the virgin birth. Then last week, we uh, briefly talked about the three gifts that the wise men brought later, months, perhaps years later, to Jesus. And we focused on the potential symbolism. We don't know if the wise men brought these gifts with that symbolism of who Jesus is and who he would prove himself to be. But it was interesting to find out that frankincense was a pure incense that was used during worship. And so we talked about the fact that that does fit with who Jesus is in his divinity, that he is God. Now this week, we want to focus on one of the other gifts, which is gold, And like I said last week, we are not going to study these gifts in depth. We're going to touch on them, and then we're going to look at who Jesus is um, that can be derived from the potential symbolism of the gift. And so we are going to look at gold today. Gold, as many of you know, is the medal of kings. It's beauty, scarcity, unique density, Uh, it's unlike any other uh, metal outside of the platinum group. Uh, And the ease by which it can be melted, formed, and measured made it a natural trading medium. It actually gave rise to the concept of money itself because it's portable, it's private, and it's permanent. Uh, As you know, if you were to watch the Olympics, first place gets the gold, and earthly kings would often adorn themselves with gold, and they'd surround themselves with things of gold as an attempt to establish legitimacy or power or wealth or status, and that's what gold represents. But what's really awesome to think about is that Jesus is the creator of gold, he owns all of the gold and alone holds the legitimacy of being king of an eternal kingdom. And so if you were to award the gold medal to anyone, it would have to be to Jesus because he owns it in the first place, and he is king. And so because gold is that medal of kings, and it's often associated with kings, we look at King Jesus today. So we discover Jesus' royalty That will be our study today. I told you to uh, open to the chapter of Luke, the very first chapter. Uh, We are not going to read all of that portion. We've been actually reading it for the last several weeks. But I wanted you to have it open because my introduction is going to come from Luke chapter 1, specifically verses 27 and 33. And we're just going to very briefly highlight them, but it's always nice to be able to see what I'm saying, that it comes from Scripture, because that's where I am to be held accountable, is that I'm delivering to you not my own words, but that of Scripture. And so when I say... Things and I quote scripture, I want you to prove it, and I want you to look right along with me. And so you're gonna focus on chapter one, verse 27 and 33 as I touch on a few things. But in regards to Jesus's royalty, there's two things that I wanna briefly remind you of or show you from scripture. One is his earthly royalty. Now, he didn't come and be crowned king of a kingdom here on earth and rule politically, but what I mean by that shows up in verse 27 and 33. Look what it says. Joseph was of the house of David. Verse 33, the throne of his father David. This is talking about who Jesus is and proving his lineage. It also says in verse 33 that he would reign over the house of Jacob. Now this lineage is important because it's a royal lineage and it's repeated over and over from an earthly perspective. And what this does is it fulfills the law and it fulfills the prophets. We sang that in a song uh, recently, as of a few minutes ago, and it shows us that from an earthly perspective, Jesus is fulfilling all of this prophecy of earthly royalty. Even though he didn't come for that exact reason, he fulfills that. He was directly descended from David in the tribe of Judah from the family of Jesse. And so if you were to go back to Second Samuel chapter 7, you would see that Jesus fulfilled the Davidic covenant. There's three parts if you were to read Second Samuel 7. The first part, God reaffirms his promise of land in the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants in verse 10 of Second Samuel 7. He says this, I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. That was the first reaffirming of the promise. The second part in 2 Samuel 7 says this, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. So God promises that David's son will succeed him as king of Israel. And that this son, who is Solomon, will build the temple. So there's part two. But now, he expands the promise in Second Samuel 7. Remember, we're talking about Jesus' royalty and on earth how this all is making sense from his lineage. Listen to verses 13 and 16 from 2 Samuel 7. When God expands the promise. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Suddenly we have an everlasting promise. We have an everlasting kingdom. Man can't accomplish, accomplish eternity. Man can't establish a kingdom that will last forever and so it had to be Jesus It had to be divine. It had to be from God. And so what we see in Matthew 21, 9 is Jesus referred to as the son of David. So a different son of David, not Solomon, would rule forever. And now in his birth, we see that Jesus is king. So from an earthly perspective, people are making sense of this. And they're saying, wow, there's going to be a king born and they're, they're looking for this trial on earth to end. We do this in politics all the time when we try to elect the next person because maybe it's gonna ease some of the pain, whether it's financial, whether it's moral, whether it's whatever you fill in the blanks. We're trying all the time to look for earthly kings who are finally gonna bring some peace or bring some sort of easing to the pain. It was no different. God is showing the people that there is someone who qualifies not just for an earthly kingdom, but for a divine royalty. So we see very quickly that Jesus fulfills the prophecy for his earthly qualifications, if you want to call it that, but that he is also divine in his royalty. And this, this is where it's different than any person you could ever imagine. Any politician who may be successful, any king that maybe is looked at in history as being great, this is where that comparison ends because they are not God. Jesus is an eternal divine king. He is royal. Look at verse 33 again in Luke chapter 1. It says, you are going to reign forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Those terms forever and no end can't apply to man It has to apply to divine royalty, and that is Jesus. You see, Jesus reigns at God's right hand. Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 23 say this, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is not just an earthly king. This is divine royalty and his name is Jesus. And the the thing that tends to be a sticking point for people is that they believe that you can accept one and not the other. I think Jesus was just a good man who did some great things on earth, and he was called king. But you can't have one or the other. It is the acceptance of both. He fulfilled the prophecies, he qualified with his lineage, if you're looking for qualifications. But his qualifications come with who he is because he is God, and so we have to accept his royalty as being earthly and divine. We know that he is fully man and fully God, but we have to accept his kingship is both earthly and heavenly. He is going to reign and he will reign forevermore. You see, his reign is real. It's literal. In the Moody Bible commentary, it explains it this way. It's a literal geopolitical kingdom in which there was a ruling king replete with authority that is exercised over a literal people and a literal land, Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven, not because it exists only in heaven, but because it will come from heaven to earth. That is Jesus, the king. And so with that in mind, I want to read in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to discover three things about Jesus and him as king. So if you haven't turned there, please do that right now. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And if you're able to stand while we read it, please do so as we honor the word of God. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You may be seated. Three things that I want to note from this interaction with Herod involving the wise men as we recognize that Jesus is. That he is royal. The very first thing comes from verses one through three when we see Herod's reaction to what happens. And we make this statement about Jesus as king that Jesus as king is threatening. We see that with Herod's reaction, don't we? Now, what you have to know about kings is that in the Old Testament, we see that the king has complete authority to rule over the nation of Israel. You see, Jesus was born to be king of the Jews, but in his life, he refused every attempt by people to recognize or place him as an earthly king with earthly military and political power. He wasn't here to run for office, and he refused every attempt. Look at John 6, 15. It says, "'Perceiving then that they were about to come "'and take him by force and make him king, "'Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself.'" He wasn't here for that purpose. He wasn't going to be an elected official. He was here to serve the purpose of his father. He has an interaction with Pilate later on in John 18, and he says that, or Pilate says to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. You see, the association with Jesus being king brought a lot of fear to the earthly king, Herod, because it was a threat to his power. Here is this big exciting news that lots of people get worked up about, that there's a king coming, and this is the long-awaited perfect king that we're waiting to change the whole world so that our lives will be more comfortable, there'll be more peace, there'll be all of these things here on earth, and we're looking at it through those terms, these people were, and it's a threat. King Herod took Jesus as a threat to his throne by his royal title of king, because look at Matthew 2 that we read in verse 3. What does it say Herod's reaction is? He is what? Excited? He is ready to worship? No. He's troubled. He's troubled because of the simple announcement or the simple question, where is this king of the Jews? Where is he born? And he's troubled by this. Herod's life can be summarized like this. Herod had been king about 30 years by this time. He was old and would die not long after Jesus' birth. Herod was an immensely gifted man, skilled in hand-to-hand combat, in rhetoric and in politics. He excelled at famine relief and building projects, but he became cruel and paranoid later in life and bent all his efforts to retaining power. Perpetually fearing plots on his life, he executed his wife, and three of his sons, to mention a few of his cruel decrees. Suffice it to say that his order to kill all the young males in Bethlehem, which comes later on if we were to continue reading Matthew 2, suffice it to say that his order to kill all those young males in Bethlehem in the hope of killing Jesus is consistent with who Herod was. He was a talented but violent and immoral ruler. And so, someone who is gonna do anything to retain that power, including killing his wife and three of his sons, is going to take this title as king as a threat. And he's troubled. And this stopped me this week. Because it's so easy to read these stories and say, how did people not see that Jesus is the king? How do you not grasp this idea? And it stopped me because I realized That Jesus is a threat to our own lives if we value our sin. Jesus as king on the throne of your life is a threat if you place any value on your own sin or on your selfishness. Because we all have a throne in our life. Every one of us. It manages our decisions and whoever's on that throne is how we are going to decide what to do. And I know for me that I get caught up so often, kind of hitting that autopilot button, does anyone else have that? Where you kind of just say, I'm gonna roll through today, I'm gonna hope for what's best, and you kind of zone out a little bit, and then you hit these default decisions in your life. And usually by default, we lean towards self. We please ourselves. we make decisions how to treat others based on how it feels for me, And suddenly, the throne of our life is managed by who? Us. We're sinners. Our default person on the throne is us. And it is a constant battle for me, and I'm sure it is for you, to always make sure that every thought, every word, every plan is governed by Jesus Christ on the throne of your life. And so Jesus as king was not just Herod looking at it and saying, I'm troubled by this. Every one of us battles with the troubled idea that Jesus is king over our lives because then I don't get to just please myself. I don't get to just do whatever I feel is the right thing to do. And it is a constant battle. I struggle with it. And the main thing that I can boil it down to when I struggle with this is that I'm on the throne of my life and my actions and God isn't. And it doesn't mean that I don't believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, but fleshing that out has its struggles because there's people that bug me and there's situations that I'm overwhelmed by and there's times where I don't want to crawl out of my bedroom because life is tough. But Jesus as king is not supposed to be threatening because you'll see later that Jesus is the perfect king. And if we fully submit ourselves and our decisions and our actions moment by moment to Jesus as king, he knows what's best for us. I can't manage my life better than Jesus can. I can't do anything better than Jesus can. And Herod hears this term, king of the Jews, and he goes, wait a minute, I don't like that because I'm the guy in power. I'm the guy in authority. And so Herod is troubled. And I think we can relate to Herod because each one of us gets troubled by submitting fully to Jesus on the throne. Jesus tells us in Luke 9, 23 through 25, he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? R.C. Sproul summarizes it this way. This means that you are to renounce selfish ambition and all right to control one's own destiny. It is a death to a whole way of life. You see, when you recognize that Jesus Christ is king and you make him Lord of your life and you are gonna submit to him moment by moment and you're gonna say no to yourself and yes to Jesus' authority as king over your life, it means that you are dead to sin and you are alive in him. Jesus is the king, but it can be threatening if you're holding on to any sort of self or any sort of value that your sin thinks it brings you. And so today, we submit ourselves to Jesus as king because we're alive in him. Don't hold on to your sin. Don't hold on to yourself on the throne. Put Jesus Christ all the time on the throne of your life. So the first thing that we see about Jesus as king from Herod is that he's threatening. And we can relate that to ourselves. But the second thing that we can see is that Jesus as king is meaningful. Look at verses 4 through 6. He asks the question, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And he gathers all of the wise people around. And he's looking for an answer. And he says, Where is this Christ to be born? And look at their statement. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The chief priests and the scribes that gave him this answer seemed very blah. They stated a fact, didn't they? There was no heart involved in this statement. We don't see that inexpressible joy. We don't see their statement as being this emphatic, worshipful excitement that Jesus is born, and look what the scriptures say. He's going to be found in Bethlehem. We don't have any sense that they really cared other than the fact that they stood before the king and said, here's the fact, it is written. They seemed so blah, Romans 5 tells us this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And Proverbs 2.10 says, wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You see, they delivered this prophecy, but they hadn't allowed it to penetrate their hearts. They delivered a fact from words rather than good news from God. It wasn't meaningful to them. They didn't let this knowledge pour into their hearts that Jesus Christ, the King, is born. They stated a fact. It wasn't meaningful. You see, knowledge doesn't mean understanding, and understanding doesn't mean application. This idea of knowledge, there was a study done way back in 1979 that says this. Knowledge is exploding at such a rate, more than 2,000 pages a minute, that we can't keep up. In fact, if you read 24 hours a day from the age of 21 to 70 and you retained everything that you read, you would be one and a half million years behind than when you finished or when you started. That's how fast knowledge is ha- is happening. That's how fast new things can be learned by us, but it doesn't make a difference if that doesn't overwhelm your heart and we see that it didn't overwhelm the heart of the chief priests and the scribes. They just delivered a fact. This isn't to minimize knowledge, but it's to emphasize the importance of heart change, not just brain power. If you did what I just mentioned in that study, reading constantly, do you know how disconnected you would be from your fellow man and everything that's happening around you? Because this would be you. Your face in a book acquiring knowledge. And the chief priests and the scribes, it seemed that they had missed the point that a Savior was born. And he was right there. They could have gone with excitement and worshiped him, but they chose to stand before King Herod instead. They looked to their earthly king instead of saying, this is an eternal royal king that was just brought to the world. All that knowledge is supposed to penetrate your heart so that you can recognize what the King Jesus has done for you. And so we see that Jesus as king is meaningful. His birth and his reign has meaning because he would come to change the world by his life. He would come and offer salvation by his sacrifice and he would come and give life by his resurrection. His birth has meaning. Jesus as king, as as intimidating as it can be, and as much as we can try to push back against that because we want to be on the throne, he as king has meaning and you can't deny it. Some receive it. Some people are threatened by it. Other people are indifferent by it, like we see. How about you? How do you receive that information that Jesus is king? Does Jesus fit into your head knowledge? Or is Jesus Christ as king the one that warms your heart? Does he just satisfy some sort of prophecy that you read and it goes, oh, that fits, now move on to the next fact that I want to learn? Or is Jesus Christ the one? As king of your life who gave his life for you, is he the one that warms you? Because that's the king who was brought to earth in a manger. Jesus is king, he is the true king. He's the one who created, who sustains that creation. God is going to judge that creation based on whether or not you have accepted Jesus Christ as king in your life, recognizing that you need way more than an earthly satisfaction or earthly king to rule. You need something eternal, and the only eternal savior is Jesus Christ as king. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you say that I can't manage this throne of my life and that it has to be Jesus, the one who can do it perfectly, and God is gracious and loving and he makes you part of his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. And you have blessings and you have status in that kingdom, the only kingdom that matters. So Jesus as king is meaningful. The last thing that I want you to see from this passage in Matthew comes from verses 10 and 11. And it's that Jesus as king is powerful. Look what happens when they come and they see this baby with his mom. They fell down and they worshiped him. They saw the child... And they couldn't remain the same. They responded with a humble position before the powerful king who was a human baby, a tiny bundle of eternal power. This is the baby whose birth we celebrate. This is not just a child. This is eternal King Jesus. And we have the ability We have the understanding. We get to have the knowledge and allow it to penetrate and warm our heart of what Jesus did for us. Because when you believe in Jesus Christ, he takes you from dead to alive. You were once a sinner and now you're a child of God, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And that understanding, as it penetrates our heart, do you know what it does? It prompts worship. And we see that in verses 10 and 11. They bow down and they worship him because you can't help it when you know Jesus as your savior. Christmas should remind us of who Jesus really is as king of kings and lord of lords and how his birth was the start of the life that made all the difference to mankind. That God, the owner of all things, sent Jesus to deliver mankind from sin and allowed us to be part of his eternal kingdom. Christmas is about worship. Jesus came to earth to serve, not as the God-man Jesus who would rule earth in small earthly kingdoms or portions of it. He lived his life to prove that he is the true ruler and the true king, to prove that his kingdom is not of man and therefore temporary, but of God making it eternal. His power comes from God. His kingdom is of God. John Piper describes this illustration as a discussion between the president, whoever the president may be at the time, and Jesus. The president says to Jesus, how can you be the ruler of me? I have my office by the election of the people of the United States, a sovereign nation, and by virtue of a constitutional inauguration and installation. And Jesus' answer would be this. I have my office as ruler over you by God's election, And by virtue of my resurrection from the dead, my indestructible life, and my installation at God's right hand. You see, Jesus is alive today, presiding from heaven over the rulers of the earth. Jesus did not come to earth to rule portions of the earth. He didn't come to rule the physical whole earth. He rules the entire universe and beyond and everything that's contained in that, including earth. His kingdom is infinite. Which is why it's so important for us to deliver the message of Jesus to the world. Because there are some who don't know who the king truly is. They're looking to all of the wrong people and the wrong places. And it is our job as messengers, messengers of the gospel message to take that to a lost world and to show them the difference that King Jesus has made in our lives because this isn't just some small election. This isn't just about this temporary life that we're living. There is eternity to consider. Isaiah 45, 23 says this, to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. We have to remember that there is a day where every person is gonna come to the realization that God is the king. The question is, how do you recognize him today? Because today makes an eternal difference in what you recognize God to be in your life. Is Jesus king of your life or is he not? Someday you're going to admit that Jesus is king, but that day may be too late. We are only guaranteed this exact moment that I just said that. You're not even guaranteed that next breath. And so if you're waiting for another breath or another minute or another day to be able to finally say, all right, I finally give up. Jesus wore me down and I'm going to declare him as king. It may be too late. The point of Christmas is to recognize that Jesus is the king and he will be the king eternally. He can be king of your life, thereby rescuing you from the punishment for your sin. And if you know Jesus as king of your life, then it demands worship. And so Christmas is not about exchanging gifts so that you get more stuff that are all gonna be burned up anyway. It's about setting yourself for eternity because of the gracious God who gave us the gift of salvation in King Jesus. And so you may ask yourself, why does all of this matter to me right now? I'm very quickly gonna go through these because I want you to take these points home and dwell on them. King Jesus rules perfectly in righteousness. Psalm 89:14 says righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. We are constantly looking for people to do the right thing. We elect them into office hoping that their promises are correct and then we're always let down because they never are. We want righteousness, we want justice, we want all of those things to be done perfectly and no man will ever do that, but King Jesus does that and he does it for eternity because the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. He also rules perfectly in love. That verse in Psalm 89 continues and it says, steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. You see, he is almighty king but he doesn't just rule from some distant, inaccessible throne. He isn't far from us. At any moment, you can cry out to the king, and he is right there. That is unlike any man who's ever served or woman who's ever served in office. It is unlike anything you could beyond comprehend That no matter the time of day, no matter the stress you're under, no matter the overwhelming feelings where you just want to hide, you have access to the throne because of King Jesus. He rules perfectly in love. And you have to remember that he reigns eternally. In that passage from 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says this, your throne will be established forever. And this detail matters because this isn't some detail that's going to pass. This detail is forever. It matters right now because all we have is right now to decide to follow him or not. And it affects your eternity. We don't get to just die and everything is over. There is eternity to consider. And we need to understand that we have the opportunity to declare on the throne of our lives for right now and forever, the king who will never be overthrown. His reign can never be challenged. He is rightfully the creator. He is rightfully sovereign. And he is rightfully on the throne over all things. Make him Lord of your life. His kingdom is bigger than anything you can compare it to. It's bigger in strength, in importance, in significance, in how it affects your daily life, in the hope you can have in it and more. You see, earthly kingdoms, we always want them to be financially beneficial with our health care and with policies that reflect our preferences or beliefs. We want leaders to be wise and effective, but all they will always all fall short. And we have the chance to take our minds outside of the immediate, the life that the Lord put us here for, and we have the ability to say, I want to consider eternity, and on the throne of eternity is God. Do you serve him as king or not? Christmas is not a season where God's son makes peace with the darkness or causes Scrooges to be less sinful. It's when the light of the glory of God veiled in humanity shines into darkness. It's a reminder that while this baby is a gift to mankind, this baby is the king who rules perfectly, righteously, lovingly, and eternally. That is the King Jesus. That is the point of why we're gathered here today is to recognize more and more in our life that we need to be less on the throne and put Jesus in charge of everything because it changes everything. It changes the way that we interact with each other. It changes how quick we forgive each other. It changes the things that we argue about because we recognize that when Jesus is on the throne, we are to be loving and gracious and forgiving. And we have a unity and a harmony amongst us that's beautiful for the outside world to see. And then we take that beauty and we live it out in a lost world so people say, why are you so different? And we can say, because I serve King Jesus, my Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge right now from my life as a stance of this church and I believe as the stance of many people in here that you are king. You are Lord over our lives. But Lord, I also confess to you that I messed that up that moment by moment, I need you. There isn't a moment of my life that I can manage without you. Every single part of my being needs a savior. Every moment of my life needs a savior. And Jesus, you are that savior. And you are with me all the time so that when I struggle and I say, the wrong thing, or I do the wrong thing, I get to cry out to my King, my Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is right there. And when I mess it up, the King doesn't come at me and strike me down. He holds out his hand and he picks me up and he said, I've got you in my arms. And my eternity is forever set because of King Jesus. Lord, make that my declaration today in every moment, in every interaction. Make that the declaration of the people here at Calvary into our community and into their lives, into their families at Christmas. Let the name of Jesus ring loudly in the lives of everybody so that they see That we are not here to serve earthly people or self. That we are here to serve the king who came down and gave his life for us. Thank you, Father, for your great truth today. Thank you for your love and your eternal reign. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.